If you want to turn to uh, your notes there, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. What we're going to do tonight is read uh, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to look at tonight a case for the pre-tribulation rapture. And I could say a whole lot more than what we're going to say tonight in regarding of the subject, but I'm going to show you where in the book of Revelation, uh, you know, the pre-tribulation rapture uh, view is seen and so forth. Um, You know, it's something that the rapture is, uh, you know, in the word of God, and we'll look at that as well. And at the minimum, and at the very minimum, you know, no matter where your eschatology leans and eschatology is just a fancy word for end times you know events and prophecy in the scripture at the minimum we're going to emphasize because it's throughout the word of god that we need to be watching and looking every day for the lord's return and you might be the most staunch post-trib individual on the face of the earth but if you're not looking for the lord's coming today you're disobeying disobeying your lord because he said to watch and be ready and we'll see really clear that in that he's talking about him coming for his church. So um, let's read the text together, uh, these four verses. Next week, Lord willing, we'll go through all of, of chapter four and we'll really focus in on the one on the throne, the Lord, this scene in heaven and so forth. But tonight I want to read these four verses and again, look at the pre-tribulation doctor, doctrine, where it comes from and so forth. And, um, you know, as I say all the time, the Lord's coming when the Lord's coming, and our viewpoint on this isn't going to shape that. God's not going to take a poll and a survey, um, but you know what? Let's just read the text and go from here, So, because I, I got an order here on my notes, and I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself a little bit. So it says, after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. And I will show you the things that, that which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven and one who sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and like a sardis stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their head. Now, again, we, we study the, the, the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and we always want to study in context. And so we got to remember what came right before chapter 4. Chapter 2 and 3 were the letters to the seven churches. And we talked about how that was not only letters to those seven physical churches in Asia Minor at the time, uh, you know, modern-day Turkey, but you can make a really clear case of laying out those seven churches representing periods of time of the church age over the last 2,000 years. And we did that in the study the last seven weeks. Um, we also saw the fact that in those letters, there's personal instruction for all of us in those letters, as well as, you know, an instruction for local churches, you know, at, to this day. Again, tonight we're going to look at the rapture of the church in the Word of God. And right off the bat, you know what, I used to say from time to time, I'd hear people to say, they'd say, well, you know, 
the rapture is not even in the Bible. What are you talking about? And unfortunately, as we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church, and listen, at the minimum, we're getting closer because a week's gone by since last Wednesday, and as time goes by, we get closer. But now it seems like I'm hearing on a regular basis individuals and, you know, at bloggers and, you know, you know, YouTubers, YouTube's made like a, a platform for even people with teaching ministries who shouldn't have that. You know, the Bible says, let not many become teachers. They'll incur a stricter judgment. And even peddling things that you're not going to find in scripture, one of them being an attack on the rapture of the church. And they'll say, well, that's not in the Bible, but absolutely it is in the Bible. And we'll, again, establish that clearly tonight. And as I already mentioned, there's different views. The rapture of the church, which is, again, Jesus coming for his church and taking them from the earth and taking them to be with him. There's several views of when that may occur. Again, listen, I lead to a pre-tribulation rapture, which would be at the beginning of the tribulation, those last seven years on earth, where God is predominantly dealing with the nation of Israel. There's also a newer view that's gained popularity. It's very new called the pre-wrath rapture. And it kind of centers around the sixth seal being broken in scripture. And the individuals who say who's like the beast and who can worship him. Finally acknowledging the wrath of God saying save us from this. And individuals thinking those people are prophets declaring now wrath's come, and so now the rapture can come because we're not appointed to wrath, and it's this idea that the wrath of God doesn't come till the middle or towards the middle of the tribulation. But we'll even see tonight, and we'll talk more about this in a few weeks, um, that in First Thessalonians where it talks about wrath, it's clearly right after the world declares peace and safety and they celebrate the Antichrist, and in context, then destruction comes, and the Bible says, we're not subjected to that as the church. Also, and I mentioned this recently, the second seal of the tribulation, the first one's the Antichrist coming into power. The second one is the red horse. And it says the peace taken is taken from the earth and men rise up and begin to kill one another. But the word kill is the improper word. The word there is butcher or slaughter. And so it's men rising up to kill one another, not to kill out of anger, but to kill as a sacrifice to a demonic God or to eat one another. And it's interesting, the next horse after that brings famine. And so if you don't think that's the wrath of God, him pulling back his restraining hand and that breaking out, I, I don't know what, what you think is. Because living in a world that's unhinged like that with God pulling back his restraining hand. And I'll tell you, there's several, and, and we'll get into this in a few weeks, there's several passages that talk about God's wrath poured out on Israel back in the Old Testament, and it had to do with God pulling his hand back and saying, I'm gonna give you over to wrath, very much like what you see there in the tribulation. Now, if this is new to some of you guys, we've been looking at these things for over a year here, so I know a lot of you guys are clued in on this phraseology and where I'm going and so forth. Listen, if it's new to you tonight, just hang on, follow along. Things will be reiterated and so forth. Hopefully at the minimum, a foundation's laid, a hunger's laid to get in to study more and so forth. So pre-wrath rapture is very new. 
There's also the idea of a mid-tribulation rapture at the middle of the tribulation and then post-tribulation where they say, hey, the church is going to go through all of the tribulation and then I guess at the end we go up and then immediately come back on white horses. And that, that one is just so, you know, I, I can see how certain scriptures can be taken to try to establish a pre-wrath and a mid-trib, though pre-tribulation rapture blows away the other ones as, as far as the amount of scripture and so forth. Post-trib, I have no idea how someone can come up with that and lean on that. And I can tell you tonight as well, well, I should know how people knew that because in my Christian walk, early on in it as an adult, at first I had a post-tribulation view and then a mid-tribulation view, and then a post-pre-wrath view, and that's right when that had started. A guy named Marvin Rosenthal wrote a book, Pre-Tribulation Rapture, and he's the guy that introduced it probably in the 80s or 90s. But I switched to leaning pre-trib. You know why? I started reading the Bible. (laughs) And then when I started teaching the Bible and started teaching the Bible verse by verse and really then understanding Israel's role in things, just all the more, you know, I've leaned that way. And again, the Lord's coming for his church when the Lord is coming. We should always be looking and listen, whatever comes is going to come. And I know whatever comes and whatever I may be here for, guess what? Jesus will be with me going through whatever. Now, again, there's a lot of individuals that attack the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture because They say, well, that's just been presented to a compromised church out of appealing to their itching ears, wanting to escape any difficulty that might come upon the earth. Uh, I would say to individuals that are drawn to it for that reason, to go back and read the letters to the seven churches, because I would say that fits the description of a Laodicean and probably an individual that, you know what, is fooling himself on who his Lord really is, because you see that church, and we'll get into it, the bulk of it being unsaved and going right into the tribulation. Here's the thing as well. Listen, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus today, is that anyone here? Can we say amen to that tonight? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And if you're living, if you, if you say a Christian and there's no tribulation, there's no persecution, none of that comes your way, and you're saying, well, you know, we're, we're going to face that down the road here. You probably need to check yourself today. Right now, you should step back and saying, why is there any, never any resistance? Why is there never any tribulation? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, it's one thing, again, to have people upset with you because you're a jerk, or, you know, the way you carry yourself and then you kind of throw it back on Jesus, but it's really just you're a legalist or, you know, you're a snitch or something like that, you know, whatever it would be. But if you're really living for the Lord, there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be persecution. And I'll tell you, following Jesus Christ is the best life. But I'm going to tell you straight up tonight, it's a rough life. There's challenges. There's things that come along. There's issues you got to work through. There, there, there is, you know what, if you care about your kids' souls, you're praying for them day in and day out, and you're concerned for them, and it's, it's, that's a tribulation right there. 
raising kids in the Lord, especially in the day we're living in, you know, with all the things out there and so forth. And even this idea, well, you know what, American Christians, ha, 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 they have it easy. Listen, if you're going to live for the Lord here, you're going to be battling temptation after temptation after temptation. Again, and raising your kids with all of the things facing them. Listen, to, to, to do that, we need God's grace and mercy, and we better be on our knees day in and day out. You can't take days off in it. And then in a world that, uh, you know, it is getting more and more antichrist, we see much resistance from the outside. And then in the midst of a church and Christianum in the West that is so stinking compromised and lukewarm and so forth, if you're going to be the guy that stands up and say, guys, let's get back to the Bible here. Let's get back to the doctrine. Let's get back to what the word says, not to what the latest, uh, you know, millennial so-called theologian here that's twisting God's word. That's wrong. We're going to stand up against that. We're going to say something. You better believe there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some tribulation. There's going to be people throwing out your name as wicked and evil because you're not going along with the latest nonsense that damn souls to hell. So, um, again... This idea of escapism, if you follow Jesus, you're going to follow him in a fire. But listen, Jesus will be with you in that fire every step along the way. And it's glorious. Listen, with that said, no matter what you, no matter how you lean, pre-trib, again, pre-wrath, mid-trib, post-trib, you had better be watching every day for Jesus Christ. And that's, I think, the danger in people that get so caught up with those other three views. They really seem to move into a place where they're looking for the Antichrist and they're not looking for the Christ. It's very interesting. And that's not biblical. Jesus said to be watching every single day, not for the Antichrist, but to be looking for him. Notice Matthew 24, 40. Jesus said, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You don't know. And I'll tell you, especially when you get into post-trib, you can take the abomination of desolation and it's a countdown of days, a biblical calendar to when the second coming is going to happen. When it comes again, to a pre-tribulation rapture view, you don't know. Now, we know there'll be signs, and the last year between the Olivet Discourse and going through the entirety of the book of Daniel and Revelation so far, where we're at, we've talked about signs. Israel being regathered is the greatest sign. It's the greatest sign of the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But signs are also out there in regards to the love of many growing coal. This is getting to be a nasty world out there. I saw an article yesterday that a guy was in a store. A lady who worked in the store told him to put a mask on. And guess what? It's their store. I don't like wearing masks. I don't wear them as much as I can. But if it's their store and they say to wear it, you either wear it or you leave. Period. It's just, you know, oh, I got my rights. They have their rights too. It's their business. Just don't go back there anymore. It's their business. But this guy took out a gun and shot her in the head. That's insane. That is insanity. And I thought about that. I thought, 
how many times does someone not do that, but someone had told them to put a mask on and they had murder in their heart? And I hate them. Or maybe the opposite of it. You know, you just see the love of many just, it's exploding all over the place. It absolutely is. And we talked about all those signs and so forth. Listen, we better be watching. And then Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the son of man. This is said in context of what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. And the Lord says, you need to watch and pray that you can escape these things. And you might ask, how can I be counted worthy to escape these things? What do I need to do? You know what? 10 million Hail Marys and go on my knees till they're bloody and so forth. And then maybe I'll atone. No, you call on Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know that you know he is your Lord and Savior. You know you're not giving God lip service when you say Jesus is your Lord, but Jesus is your Lord. And that's why the scripture says and examine yourself and make sure that you're in the faith. Now again, I know that we're living in a time where there's a lot of bitter ex-pre-tribulation leaning Christians. And they're bitter because they said, listen, I, I read the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And you know what? That didn't happen in the time frame that it said it was going to happen. I'm bitter now. Oh, I read the Left Behind series and I just thought I was, wait, I read it. I finished the 29th book, how many ever there was. I, I haven't read it. Really don't want to read it, but I know it blessed a lot of people. But I got to the 29th book, whatever, you know, was it the seventh or eighth or ninth book? And then I waited a year and Jesus didn't come back. So boy, he ain't coming back. There's a lot of people with that mindset. Dude, mature up. I wasn't looking to Tim LaHaye or Hal Lindsey to tell him when he can come back. And I ain't bashing those books. I know there's a lot of good things in those books. But if that's the mentality... Jesus said, watch and be ready. Jesus said he's coming at an hour when people aren't expecting. And the scripture always also says in, in, in Peter's epistles that one of the signs of his soon return will be people mocking his coming. And they'll say, haven't things been, aren't things are as they've always been? And then it says they willfully forget that the Lord destroyed the world with a flood. I didn't think the day would come, though, when so many mockers and scoffers would be in Christianum joining the world in that viewpoint. So we need to be looking and we need to be watching for the coming of our Lord. Now, notice what it says here. That's our setup here. (laughs) So notice what it says here again in the first verse. And this, there's a phrase here We'll read this and see what you hear said twice. Um, This is the first verse. After these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. We see after this twice. Now about eight, nine weeks ago when we started the book of Revelation, we saw the outline to understanding the book of Revelation found in chapter 1, verse 19. There's an outline. There's a key to understanding the book. The Lord tells John in Revelation 1, 19, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. 
What are the things that he had seen? Well, go back to Revelation 1, 1 and 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must take, must take place shortly after this. And he sent signified by his angel to his servant John, notice, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, and all the things that he saw. So again, the things you have seen. John bore witness to the things that he had saw. John walked with Jesus. John saw the life of the Lord, the death of the Lord, the resurrection of the Lord. He bears witness to that in this book. And then he says, write the things which are. And what comes after chapter one? The seven letters to the seven churches, the things that are. It's called the time of the Gentiles or the church age. Those seven letters, again, there is alive today as when they were written for the Lord's church that's here on earth right now. Again, Revelation 111, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. That's the thing that were now then, the things that are now, now. And then we come here to verse or chapter four, after the seven letters to the churches. And what's it say? After these things, I looked and behold. And then again, after this, what's he tell them? Write the things you've seen, the things that are, the things that will take place after this. After what? Obviously after the church age here. John says after these things, a voice like a trumpet says after this. Again, seven letters to the seven churches, which many see as representing the church age. We broke down the history of that and how it lines up the last seven weeks. It's also interesting that up to, up to chapter four in the book of Revelation, the word church is used 19 times. It's not used again till Revelation twenty-two sixteen when it refers back to chapter two and three. So the question is, well, where's the church? We're gonna see the church in heaven in chapter four and five, but where's the church starting in chapter six? Why isn't that word used? Well, again, going back to the letters, we read to the church in Ephesus that the Lord told them to return to their first love, to repent. And he said, if you don't, I'm gonna remove your lampstand from its place. We talked about how for a true believer, that would be a loss of their witness but to the poser in the church, and we'll see in a minute, there are many. There are many in Christianum that aren't Christians. This would be speaking of, again, a lost soul, their candlestick removed. We also saw three churches and the Lord telling them that tribulation would come upon them. Again, speaking of the unrepentive in those churches. The church of Thyatira there in Revelation 2.22. He says, indeed, this is the church that allowed Jezebel to run amok and teach their people sexual immorality and idolatry, right, in the church. They didn't, the leaders didn't teach it, but they allowed it. Remember, we talked about that. Listen, if you're allowing it, it's as bad as teaching it. Like man up and deal with stuff as a pastor. Revelation 2.22, indeed, I will cast her into the sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into, notice what? Great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. They're going into great tribulation. What do we call the last seven years? The great tribulation. And then he tells the church of Sardis, the dead church, 
in Revelation 3, 3. Remember, therefore, how you received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I'll come on you as a thief, and you don't know what hour I'll come upon. In a minute here, we'll look at the letters to the Thessalonians, and we're going to see that, again, he's coming like a thief in the night, but he differentiates between the world and him coming on them like a thief in the night unexpectedly, and true believers, true Christians that aren't like the world that are watching, that are waiting. So this is a picture as well of Sardis, the Lord coming on them like a thief, and these unrepentive individuals that aren't Christians but are in Christianum, again, going into the great tribulation. And then Revelation 3.16, he's talking to the Laodicean church. You know, I think it's the church that represents so much of Western Christianity. He says, so then you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. And we established that that's not talking about an on-fire Christian and, you know, what a backslidden Christian, but an individual that mixes their opinion with God's word. And listen, that's pretty much Western Christianum for the most part today, where people put their opinions up of God, above God's word or they mix it in together. Remember, Laodicea means man's opinion. He says, because you do this, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And then he says, I advise you to, to buy what? Gold refined in the fire, a picture again of tribulation, a picture of trial and so forth. But then we read about a church that seems to be spared from these things, taken from these things, the church of Philadelphia. Revelation 3, 8, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. Again, John's writing his letter. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. He tells the faithful church, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door that no one can shut. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. That's far different. The Lord says, I've opened a door for you. The church of Laodicea, remember, Jesus was kicked out. Jesus was knocking on the door. They'd pushed him out. That's a picture of Christian and without Christ. That's problematic. And then in Revelation 3.10, he told that church, Behold, you have kept my commandment to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That's in reference and in context in this book to the great tribulation. So what we're really going to start to get into when we come to you know what, uh, chapter six in a few weeks when the seals start to get broken. I'll keep you from the hour trial that's gonna come on the entirety of the world. The great tribulation comes on the entirety of the world. That can't be said of anything else back then or in ancient history. Probably the closest thing we've seen as a trial that's come on the whole world, and this isn't just my opinion, I've heard many you know what, um, I don't know, ministers, uh, individuals that, that, that have established, you know, credible ministries, they, they, you know, in agreement that this COVID-19 thing has been the closest to anything that's come on to the whole world, not in the sense of a virus, but in the sense of how they've enforced this thing and taken people's rights from them and all the stuff that they have done, really crimes against humanity. And there's actually cases right now you know what, in, in various courts and so forth, trying to prosecute some of these individuals for crimes against humanity. And if, if, you, just, if, you, if you turn off the propaganda of CNN and Fox News and, 
NBC and all that stuff, and you really start looking at the facts, you're going to step back and go, dang, yeah, these are crimes against humanity. I mean, when they arrest a pastor again uh, yesterday with seven kids for having church for the second time, that's satanic. That's wicked. That's not of God. And, and this stuff has just been, you know, pushed. And again, of a virus that you have, what is it, a 99.9% survival rate. It's just, this is insanity. And if you're saying, oh, Steve, come on, you know what, conspiracy theory. No, th- this, this is called facts. And we got to deal with facts. And I know a lot of people are in a place of, well, you know what, we're getting through this now, so come on. I don't forget stuff like that. I have a job not to forget those things. Don't forget those things. Let's not do that. Not keeping a record of wrongs, but understanding what is going on in the world. And it would make sense that that would be something worldwide because you look at what's coming out of it, this great reset. There's no doubt it's setting things up for the Antichrist and the great tribulation. A one world currency, a one world economy, a one world government, a one world religion. It's being pushed every single day by rulers and kings of the earth, which Psalms 2 describes as individuals that want to cast off the counsel of his anointed of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's God's view on it. That's God telling us what's going on for the most part in those high places and in those meetings behind doors, closed doors, and so forth. So again, we, we see this in scripture. Some of these that are in Christian but aren't Christians going into the great tribulation while faithful believers being spared from it, or I should say true believers. And again, Jesus talked about this time and time again of a mixture of false Christians within Christianum. This isn't my idea tonight or my theory. This is what we're told by the Lord. In Matthew 13, 24, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while the man slept, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And it goes on to talk about, you know what, those that tended to the field saying, how are we going to divide these? The owner saying, well, we'll wait till harvest and then we'll separate the wheat from the tares. And then the Lord breaking down what is being talked about in this parable, that the wheat are true believers where seed fell and they believe in the Lord. The enemy that sows the seed it talks about at night is Satan. And he sows that seed when the church is asleep. But the time is coming when the Lord's going to separate the wheat from the tares. The true follower of Christ versus the poser versus the person who just gives God lip service. And then Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You will practice lawlessness. This is not only a false works-based gospel they're believing in, but also a man-centered false gospel because look at the emphasis. We did this and we did that. It doesn't matter what you do. You're saved through what Jesus has done and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And yet false doctrines have just inundated Christianum and the enemy of our soul has brought them in using individuals that want to destroy disciples after themselves to bring a great measure of tares in the midst of the wheat. 
And then we read, you know, when we were in the Hall of a Discourse earlier in the, well, it's been like a, how long has that been ago? Like a year or something ago. In Matthew 25, the Lord gives the parable of the virgins. And these 10 virgins waiting for the call of the bridegroom. And five were wise, they had oil. Five were unwise, they didn't have oil in their lamp. Remember, they all fell asleep. And then the, you know what, the sound went out. The midnight cry, the bridegroom's coming. And those five virgins that were wise had oil in their lamp. The five foolish ones said, give us your oil. And we said, you know what, you got to go get your own. In other words, you got, I can't save you. Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. I, I can't, no one can be saved through my faith. They got to have faith in the Lord. While they're off buying, the bridegroom comes. Those five go to be with the bridegroom. The door's shut. The others come and say, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. And then he gives, you know what, insight. He says, as surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour which the Son of Man is coming. And so we see that once again. Bottom line with that, listen, hear this tonight. Going to church doesn't save your soul. If you have a saved soul, you should go to a Bible teaching church. We're commanded to do that. We're called to do that. We're called to be doing what we're doing tonight, worshiping God together, encouraging one another. You know what? In the word of God together, praying and so forth. But the only thing that saves us is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, again, Matthew 4, 17, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he went forth preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, put faith on the Lord. Now listen, there's where some people, when it comes to the tribulation and the church going through it, they take the angle of, hey, but isn't the church... Isn't the tribulation needed to purify the church? Have you ever heard that before? The church is so lukewarm. The church is so messed up. And God's not going to bring the church in the way that they are. The, the tribulation, the primary factor of the tribulation is to purify the church to be able to go to heaven. And here's the thing. Listen, the only thing that can purify us is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing we do, nothing we can go through. Now, God practically will shape and mold us and get stuff out of our lives practically that shouldn't be there but if you take that view that you know we got to go through the tribulation to get pure to go to heaven you need to quit focusing on eschatology and get focused in on the gospel because the shed blood of jesus christ is what saves people and on your best day on my best day if the Lord tarries for 50 years and by God's grace, I can mature and grow in God and, you know what, continue to hopefully become more like him on this earth. When I'm 102 years old, I am 51, by the way. I, I figured it out at service on Sunday. If you guys were here for that, I don't know if I talked about that on both services. But even on that day, listen, the only thing that makes me right before God is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. We're purified through what he has done for us. And there's a lot of people, though, they peddle that. Well, the church has to go through the tribulation to be purified. Dude, drop the eschatology. Get on the gospel because you're screwed up in your mind. Dude, you got a low view of the shed blood of Christ and obviously a high view of humanity thinking we could do something to get right with God. Now, if we're right with God, we are saved under good works. But those good works don't save us. They're the product of he who has saved us. And I don't know who started that mindset, where that came from, but it's not scriptural. You're not going to find it in God's word. Now listen, again, this is a case for the pre-tribulation rapture. And again, there's a whole lot more that I can say here tonight. 
We talked a lot about this, though, when we went through the book of Daniel. Hear this. And this is where a lot of people get tripped up with things. They don't understand. The focus of the tribulation, the last seven years here on earth, where we read of an antichrist, we read of a covenant with Israel, we read of the abomination of desolation, then finally at the end, the second coming, the physical second coming of the Lord. Hear this. The primary focus and reason for the tribulation, it's not the church. The focus is upon Israel being saved. And this will happen after the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, or in other words, at the end of the church age, which John wrote about in chapters two and three. A verse we look at all the time. And we need to look at it because there's so much ignorance on this. And we're told not to be ignorant concerning these things. Romans eleven twenty five, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until what? Until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. This is why you've probably heard someone before, man, you know what? I'm gonna go share Jesus with someone. If they accept the Lord, that might be that last believer who comes to faith so we can be raptured out of here. They didn't just come up with that. That's from Romans chapter 11. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, when that last believer who the Lord knows who they are that's gonna accept Christ, there will be tribulation saints, but at the fullness of the Gentiles, the completion of the church, again, that coincides with the rapture of the church. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and callings of God are revocable. And God called Israel to be his people. They rejected him except for a remnant. But calling of God's irrevocable. And for people to say God's done with Israel or to say the church has, you know, replaced Israel, then the calling of God is it can be revoked and we're all in trouble in here tonight. We're in big trouble tonight. Again, the focus of the tribulation is called Daniel's 70th week. Listen, if you weren't with us for our study in Daniel, you got to go back. The focus is Israel. Jesus, again, in Matthew 24, he was asked, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And what did Jesus do? Who did Jesus point to to get the key to understand? He pointed back to the prophet Daniel. Again, in Matthew 24, 15, he said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then Jesus says, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Listen, the end times revolves around Israel. It revolves around Jerusalem. It involves, and we'll break this down quickly here in a second. Again, the Antichrist coming on the scene, bringing peace to the Middle East through a peace treaty. And then in the middle of that time, bringing a sacrifice in a new temple that will be built most likely on the Temple Mount. There's a case that the Temple Mount's in the old city of David. It's quite interesting. Either way, it will be erected and rebuilt, and he'll bring a sacrifice that's abominable to the Jews. And they're going to recognize this guy's not our Messiah. He's an Antichrist, and he's going to try to destroy Israel. 
it's in that time they're going to be groping for Christ. And guess what? In Romans 11, it talks about that they'll be jealous of the church. They're going to be jealous and they're going to say, we want what they have. And they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, who's in Israel today? Who's in Jerusalem today? It's Israel. God's regathered those folks. And I know there's a lot of liars that say, well, that's really not Israel. It's interesting how many groups want to claim being Israel. Individuals that they're into liberation theology, which is satanic. And it's usually minority groups to say the Bible's all about liberating us in the 21st century. And they twist the scripture. And some around and say, we're Israel. And I say, then you need to go to physical Israel today and thank those folks. Because six million of their ancestors were burned alive in, in concentration camps for you. Listen, again, I've gone to Israel multiple times these people track their genealogy back to David. They know the gene and the gene, who the Levites are. God has miraculously gathered Israel from the four corners of the earth in the order he said he would in the last days. This is all prophecy. This is why Israel becoming a nation again, and not a few prophecies, but prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled is the greatest sign of the Lord's coming because they had to be regathered there. Again, we saw there in Daniel chapter 9 in what the Lord referred to, the key to understanding the end of the age. We saw that Daniel got insight as he sought the Lord for direction and the dreams and visions that the Lord was giving him concerning the end of the age. There in Daniel 9, 24, and we went over this in great detail multiple times in the book of Daniel, but we'll just touch on it again. He says 70 weeks are determined, which is 70 periods of seven years. Again, we talked about the rule of first mention. How do we know what's being talked about? And you go back to Genesis 29 when Jacob worked seven years. He thought that he was going to marry Rachel, and Uncle Laban did the switcheroo, and he woke up, and he had married his older, the older sister Leah. <laughs> That's a dirty trick right there. Look, that's why you don't get drunk on your wedding day, too. Um, <laughs> you know, light a candle, make sure that's your wife in there. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is how I think, man. I, have you ever thought that? Like, what in the world, dude? And then he convinced Laban, hey, what'd you do to me? He said, well, it's not right in our culture for the, the younger to marry for the older. You know, if, if, if you work a week, you can have her, too. And that week was seven years. He'd worked a week for Leah. It was seven years. He worked a week for Rachel. It was seven years. When it's talking about 70 weeks here, he's talking about 77-year periods. And he says, for your people, for your holy city. Who's Daniel's people? It's the Jews. What's the holy city? It's Jerusalem. And then notice, to do what? To finish everything in this dispensation and utter, usher in the millennial reign of Christ. He says to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Doesn't that sound good? To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And then he says, no one understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there shall be Seven weeks and 62 weeks, the street shall be built again, 
and the wall even in troublesome times. That's 483 years. We saw scripturally how in Nehemiah chapter two, the decree went out from Xerxes to rebuild Jerusalem after Israel had been in that captivity. It took 49 years to rebuild it. That was those first seven weeks. And then from that point on, it was 434 years to the year. We even saw one case for breaking it down to the day during Passion Week that Christ came and was cut off. Because notice 26, and after 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So he's saying in 62 weeks after the rebuilding of Jerusalem, excuse me, it was 434 years, the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus was cut off, not for himself. You know who he was cut off for? Me and you and for the sins of the world. Prophesied here in Daniel, the Messiah would be cut off. But not for himself. He did that for us. This is, and the people of the prince who shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it with, the, with a flood. And the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be the one who makes desolate, even the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate so he's saying here from the decree to rebuild israel or jerusalem till the lord coming off it's 483 years and when that decree went out a prophetic clock started dealing with israel it stopped when the messiah was cut off it's been stopped to this day and what the time of the gentiles or the church age and it's going to start up again one last week or seven years period when when the Antichrist comes, makes a covenant with Israel, and here's Israel the size of a postage stamp, the size of one of our small New England states up in America, yet all the world looks at her. Half the, half the stuff that United Nation, the United Nations deal with revolves around Israel. It's in the news nonstop. The Bible said she'd be a cup of trembling. Every president in my lifetime has tried to brought peace to the Middle East. The one that brought the most isn't the president anymore. Pray for our country. The Bible says if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you curse her, you'll be cursed. That hasn't changed to this day. Hasn't changed to this day. He's going to make, again, that treaty. Everyone's going to say, peace and safety. Sudden destruction will come. And then in the middle of that time, he'll show himself to who he is. They're going to say, this is the Messiah, and he will turn to destroy Israel. It says two-thirds of Israel, the Jews, will be killed. One-third will be saved, the book of Zechariah. At the end of that time, they're going to look on him whom he pierced. All Israel will be saved, according to Scripture, according to Romans 11. Why? Listen, the promises of God are irrevocable. And people don't get this. They don't understand this. They jump into Revelation and 1 Thessalonians. They start reading, which is good. Listen to what Jesus said. Understand what Daniel said about these things. They don't get it. And they really don't get it in the midst of Western Christianity that more and more are saying, hey, we're Israel. God's done with Israel. In fact, Israel, they're bad. Boo, look what they do. You know, look, oh, they're, they're kept putting bombs in those other countries, you know, that bombed them first. 
wake-up call, that land's been deeded to Israel. Please open your Bibles. And if you got a problem with that, you got a problem with the Word of God. If you've been influenced by one of these lying, liberal, progressive, usually millennial, effeminate, throwing out, I got an opinion on it. These guys are. Throwing out this nonsense. I stand in the Word of God. The truth of Scripture. Remember the warnings in the church? Those who say they're Israel that are not, and he associates them with Satan? It's dangerous ground to get into. Again, that last seven years does not revolve around the church. It's not all about us. Can, can we get that tonight? <laughs> it's around Daniel's people. It revolves around the holy city, Jerusalem. It doesn't revolve around New York, though I'm sure she'll be involved some, at some degree. It doesn't even revolve around California. It revolves around Israel. And people jump into this stuff and start studying. They have no clue. They don't get it. Heard some guy recently, pre-wrath guy. Well, you know what? The tribulation saints become Israel in the tribulation. What? Do you not pick up the entirety of your Bible? That's insanity. But, you know, you get 20,000 views on YouTube, you start thinking you know something. It's like, buddy, you're going to incur a stricter judgment. You're ignorant here. Where am I at here? I covered that, covered that. <laughs> Look at it, at the end of that time. Again, the end of that seven years, the Lord comes back. We read in Revelation 19, we come back with them on white horses. That's the church. The nations of the earth have gathered there in Jerusalem, Armageddon, all the way down, you know, at the, the, to, to, to Basra, down to that valley of the Dead Sea. They're gathered together, not just to try to destroy Jerusalem, the remnant left there, and most likely in the rock city Petra, these idiots think they're going to defeat Jesus Christ. I've talked about it. Listen, I, I have to think that with the manipulation right now of DNA and this push for singularity, man and machine merging. And boy, we looked at a lot of evidence of that today and that going on by not, you know, guys in their mom's basement, but by Google and Facebook and the men of renown of today, the women of renown today. The, high, the tech people, they got more power than these politicians and so forth. They absolutely do. And they believe that they will merge man and machine. Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Zuckerberger and all these guys. I like to have a little fun. This, this is technology that's today. And I think there's a pretty good possibility that taking that mark it's going to be a changing of your DNA to say, I'm in the image of the beast, not of God anymore. And without Mark, in fact, they'll have to worship the image of the beast. And what was the original fall? Man said, I'm God. I'll worship myself. Why would Satan come up with a new lie when that one's worked so good for 6,000 years? Tell me the time in history when that could have happened before. I'm telling you, we're on the brink of the Lord coming for his church. But the Lord's going to come back and put that nonsense down. 
these individuals that think that they can defy the Lord. They think, I'll live for a thousand years. Then they'll, they'll take my conscience and they'll upload it and I'll get a new body. Listen, I think they're capable of doing such things. Remember the Tower of Babel? The Lord says, I gotta go confuse their language. Otherwise, whatever they put their mind to, they'll be able to do. Now, I don't think that means creating new life, but definitely manipulating it. It will be Babel 2.0, but this next time, God won't just confuse their language. It says he's gonna smite them. Because during that tribulation, listen, there's gonna be angels flying through heaven calling for men to repent. There's gonna be two witnesses in Jerusalem calling down fire. There's gonna be 144,000 Israeli witnesses on the earth. There's gonna be the, wish, the, the witness of tribulation saints and so forth, which we'll get into. This is gonna be time when the line's drawn in the sand and there ain't gonna be this, there ain't any God. Listen, if you, oh, atheism's gonna take over the world. That's nonsense. Satanists even laugh at atheists. New Agers laugh at them. It's a very small pocket of people. Everything's about spirituality. <laughs> and it's gonna be radically spiritualized during that time where Satan's no longer a slithering snake in, in the Garden of Eden. He's gonna be a roaring lion. And part of that mark is gonna be worshiping the beast. And listen, people aren't gonna be like, well, you know, I used a barcode at the store. Does that mean I took the mark of the beast? Remember like the 70s and 80s? Or I got vaccinated. Does that mean I took the mark of the beast? Look, it's going to be a willful word. I think some of these things are setting people up for it. Especially if they start saying you have to have a passport to buy or to sell. Because <laughs> you have to have that mark to buy or sell. By the way, it doesn't say anything about trading, just so you know. Lord always makes a way for his people. Know that when you get corn or something, he'll always make a way. And it's glorious when you get to see that Red Sea part in front of you and like, I'll march right through this with Jesus. He always makes a way. So again, that clock stopped. It stopped right now. That prophetic clock just stopped at 69 weeks. This is the church age, the age of the Gentiles. It's coming soon where it's gonna start again. And it's about Israel. Above everything else, it's about Israel. You gotta understand that and know that to to. To, to understand these things. I know Israel's way over there. For a lot of people, it's like out of sight, out of mind. But I mean, we go through the Bible verse by verse. Israel comes up time and time again, does it not? There's a reason for that. And again, in God's faithfulness to Israel, it's a reminder of his faithfulness to us. Now, real quick here. Again, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I'll show you these things that must take place after this. I think this is symbolic of the church being called up, of that trumpet being blown, of the door being open. Again, we know Jesus promised to come back for us. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. Jesus is coming back. It's gonna be in the air. First Thessalonians 4.13. Again, we see the ignorant word. 
but I do not want you to be ignorant. And it's interesting to me, all these places where he says, don't be ignorant, there's a lot of ignorance concerning it. I don't want you to be ignorant, brother, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. But if we believe Jesus died and rose again, can we say amen to that tonight? Even so, God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. John says, I heard a trumpet, a door open. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be, this is the key word, caught up. Together to be with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord with the air, in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Listen, the word rapture is not in the English version of the Bible. But the rapture's right here. We're going to be caught up. The Lord's going to catch us up. No, it's got, I got to read rapture. I don't believe in it. When was the last time you read the word Trinity in the Bible? It was not there, but it's clearly there. To be caught up, it means to seize, to catch away, to pluck, to pull away. It's the Greek word harpazo. It's the Latin Vulgate word raptus, which brings forth the English word rapture. That's where it's found, from the Greek to the English. Some will be snatched away from their attachment on this earth, like Lot. Angels had to drag them out, right? We don't want that to be us. Don't get so fixated with this earth that when the Lord comes, if you're a true believer, he has to peel your hands off of your stuff. But Lord, I stocked all this stuff for the rap, for the tribulation. Don't take me now. <laughs> People are thinking weird today. We want to be the Lord plucking us out Again, and knocking the world's grasp, trying to suck us in. Not him having to pull our hands. I think of Enoch, Elijah. There are several examples of the rapture in the Bible. It's, it's not a unique concept or a new one of the Lord catching up his people. Jesus ascended to heaven. <laughs> now again, there's a difference between the second coming and the the, 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 and, and the rapture of the church that we're talking about here. The day of the Lord, it's a period of time. Again, we see he's going to touch down at the end of the tribulation. We know the day that will happen. We've talked about it before. For time's sake, I'm not going to get into it again. When the Lord comes for us and we're caught up in the air, we don't know the day or the hour. We don't. This is what the Lord says to be watching for. And again, this trumpet we just read about, it's a trumpet of glory. We read about a seventh trumpet in Revelation. It's a woe. It covers a period of time. The trumpet of the coming of the Lord is something that happens immediately in a twinkling of an eye. It's the last trumpet of the church age. Again, Revelation 4.2, immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven and one who sat on the throne. Again, I believe John here is painting a picture of the Lord taking his church. First Thessalonians 5.15, we read about the rapture. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, twinkling an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
Again, it's a trumpet that covers a twinkling of an eye. It's a glorious trumpet. The last trumpet you read about in Revelation, it's a woe. It covers a period of time. And I'll tell you, when we go, absolutely it's going to open a floodgate of evil. Notice 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. So the Lord is telling us here, when the restrainers move, then the Antichrist will come in. Who's the restrainer? Have we not been called to be salt and light? Listen, if the church is still here, I'm called to restrain until I go to be with the Lord. Not, hey, Steve, it's the tribulation. Quit restraining evil. Salt slows down rot. Most crimes are committed, are you ready for this? In the dark. We're called to be light. We're called to be salt. We're called to show up and represent the Lord. We're called to come to call the action meetings and know what's going on in the school district and say, hey, look it, I'm not down with that. I expect you to respect what I'm teaching my kids according to God's word. They hate when you do that, especially when you have one-on-ones because most of these people are cowards. And when you show up the first day of school or the first, you know, at night where the parents can come and say, look it, I'm expecting you to respect what I teach to my kids. Oh, okay. And you can do it lovingly. That restrains evil because when then they or they are teaching your kids, I like that again, that's such a joke. They are, they are the, you know, you'll think later. And they're going to remember you standing there saying, listen, I'm going to hold you accountable. Guess what? They pump the brakes a bit. When they know caring for Jesus is going to come down and represent, that's what has to happen. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. Let's represent the Lord. Let's do it in love. That restrains this nonsense. Why do we have a recall right now in this state? Because a lot of Christians got out, including this church, and said, this is wicked what's going on. How dare they say we can't worship God here? As soon as they got enough signatures, hey, let's see how we're opening everything up. That tells me all I need to know. Listen, when you grow up in certain neighborhoods, you know a, a scam when it comes along. That's a benefit of being raised in rougher places. Again, we're called to restrain. So if we're here, aren't we still restraining? Is it, oh, when the Antichrist shows up, go into the fetal position in the corner and quit living for Christ. No. It's I represent the Lord every day of my life until I go to be with him. And again, these people don't think, they don't think this stuff through. They don't know Israel. They don't understand the role. They're ignorant to it. They'll grab a couple verses, and they're not looking at the totality of Scripture. Again, we know when we go to be with them, we'll touch more on this next week. He says in Revelation 2.10, Revelation 3.5, Revelation 3.21 to faithful believers. He says, be faithful to death, I'll give you a crown of life. He overcomes, will be clothed with white garments. To him who overcomes, I will grant with me to sit on my throne. We read earlier, there's... In this scene in heaven, 24 elders. What do we read about them? They have white robes. They have crowns. They're sitting on thrones. God said, I'm going to give that to the church. 
All of a sudden, these guys are there with the description of the things God said he'd give to his church. You're like, well, there's just 24 elders, but listen, an elder is a representative. The elders of this church represent you. We go before God to pray for you. And then you read in chapter five, these 24 elders collectively crowd and say, you saved us from every tribe and tongue. There's more than 24 tribes and tongues. We'll get into this more next week. It's a clear picture of the church in glory. Now, with all this said, listen, what do we need to do? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 42, we read it earlier, watch therefore, you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. Revelation twenty two twenty. he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. He says it three times in the last chapter of the Bible. And then Luke 21, 36, we saw already, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. All these things will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Listen, we'll close with this. First Thessalonians 5 clearly says, we're not appointed to wrath. The tribulation is gonna be a time of God pouring out his wrath. It's gonna be God saying, you want a world without restraints? You want a world without God restraining you? I'm gonna give you that. This is why, again, that second horse goes forth and men rise up and begin to eat one another. Butcher, slaughter. Sacrificing the demons and eating one another. It's not just the guy at the store getting mad and shooting somebody because he's an utter fool. It's, I'm going, I need to feed my family. This thought that, you know, things don't get bad really to the second half of the tribulation. You're ignorant. God's restraining hands moved. You don't think that's wrath? 1 Thessalonians 5.1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Again, the day of the Lord's a period of time. But according to this text, it starts with the church being taken. For when they say, again, when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction comes upon them. We'll see in context here, sudden destruction goes along with wrath if you want to study the Bible in context. Sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. They won't escape. They'll say peace and safety, destruction will come upon them, but they won't escape. But as for you, brethren... You're not in the darkness. So this day should overtake you as a thief. You're sons of the light and sons of the day. Remember the one backslidden church? He says, repent or I'll come on you like a thief. It won't take you like a thief though. We're not of the night or darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. I know some that get drunk in the day, but. But let us who are of the day be sober. And you can be drunk with all kinds of stuff, so let's keep that in mind. Those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But those who are of the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of our salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. They say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon him. In context, this wrath is associated with that sudden destruction. If you know how to rightly divide the word, you understand that. He's not, he hasn't jumped to another subject matter here. 
It's like a conversation where you're talking about the same thing. But to attain salvation through the Lord Jesus, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, listen, comfort one another and edify one another just as you're doing. And what did we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians? Comfort one another with these words. It's a comforting thing knowing the Lord's coming for us. And listen, I want to look every day. I lean pre-trib. I can do three more sermons on this because there's a whole lot more. We'll probably talk more about it. But please, listen. Understand the totality of Scripture because there's a tack today on the pre-tribulation rapture that people lean that way are somehow goofy and they don't understand the Bible. I say the opposite's true. Do you understand Israel and her role? Do you understand Israel's special place before God? That God chose her to bring forth the Messiah and gave promises to her? That even in, again, her rejection of the Lord, God's faithful when we're faithless and his calls and promises are irrevocable? I know, I know, I'm not into that. Then you better start sweating and you better go read again Romans 9, 10, 11, because he says, if that's the case with them, you're just a wild olive branch grafted in. Good luck with that. Good luck with it. But praise God. Our God is faithful and he is true. And he is a God of covenant. And in Christ tonight, we're partakers of the greater covenant of faith in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we bless you and give you praise, God. Just thank you, God, for this evening. Thank you for gathering us together in this place. Lord, we thank you for the promise, God, of eternity and eternal life and even the promise of your coming. And I would hope, God, at the bare minimum, God, every individual here tonight who names the name of Jesus, any watching at home or watch us later, at the bare minimum, we would give heed to your word and your command to watch, to be sober, to always be looking, not for the Antichrist, but for the Christ. And Lord, I pray any that are resisting that or have got rebellious in that, I pray, God, they'd heed that word of rebuke and would repent of that. Because I know what we're looking for daily is going to affect our daily living. And you make that very clear in all of this. We thank you that you're Lord. I thank you that you're faithful and true. I thank you that tonight, God, you want to save souls. And listen, Jesus came into this world to die for our sins, to make the only way of salvation through faith in him. Boy, if you have that faith, rejoice tonight. You are blessed. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. And if you don't know him, Jesus tonight is calling you to himself. And the word of God says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever, call on him. Get right with God. We bless you tonight. We thank you. Thank you for this time, God. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen.